Hi, this is the Organizational Success Academy from the Oxford Review, bringing you the very latest research in leadership, management, organizational development, design, transformation and change, human resources and human capital, organizational learning, coaching and work psychology from around the world to make you the most up-to-date and knowledgeable person in the room. Assessing organisational digital maturity. maturity. Digital maturity. Go yes, I know. It sounds interesting, doesn't it? You know, what, what, what are we talking about here? So lots of organisations are, are kind of going digital. Yes. Uh, and they have been for ages. Yes. This isn't anything new. Yeah. Um, but there's a question of how mature is the organisation in terms of its ability to be able to bring on new technology. Okay. And whether it's whether it has that maturity or whether it's bringing things in bits and they're not quite connected. Yes. And um, how it goes about developing its digital base. So the vast majority of organisations just see something and think, we want that. Yeah. Without any kind of consideration over the impact that it might have wider okay. across the organisation. Yeah. And um, without really understanding how it's going to kind of connect. So in the old days, what we used to get is computer systems not talking to each yes, other. Yes, yes. Um, so we're still getting that. Yeah. It's not a new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, there are wider implications. So, for example, HR might bring on a, a, a relationship management database or um, a, there may be a sales system yeah. or whatever it happens to be. So you start to find functions bringing in different parts of technology. Um, But it can cause other problems because in order to have a technological solution, I suppose, a computer system, it requires you to start formatting things in that system's way. Okay. And it produces certain outputs. That's that's the the whole point of it. And, And comes this question about whether an organization is in a place where it has this thing called digital maturity, where it understands the impacts of technology and how to use it, and whether it can actually bring on the latest technology as well. So you see lots of firms still struggling with, you know, bits of paper and losing things, or they don't have the databases, you know, the, the kind of way behind the curve mm. and then other sectors who are right up at the front trying new things mm. um, but they try new things at the expense of, of what they're doing so this idea of digital maturity is the ability to be able to make decisions about technology really yeah you know how is this going to work how is this going to fit in and do we actually have a kind of a, a a digitization plan for you know when new technologies come along yes so a we're scanning the environment and saying this might yeah. be useful but also working out how it's going to integrate within the business and, yeah. and what cap- extra capability it gets now one of the one of the interest one of the interesting things about this idea of digital maturity is that that there's been a whole load of particularly consultancy firms have created digital maturity assessment tools. Right. So they come in and they do an assessment and then they pronounce on how mature okay. your, okay. your yes. organization your is. Whatever. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. You're going to be good with yes. technology or actually yes. these are, you need to get these things in place okay. in order for you to be able to 
work out what's going. So what's interesting about this paper, so this this is a, a, a really interesting paper, mm. um, found that um, that about 63% of senior executives in, in many organizations across the world, this was a, a kind of an IBM global survey, okay. about 63% of uh, senior executives consider that the response to technological change is way too slow. Yeah. So they're way, way behind the curve yeah. and they're, they're not even catching up yeah. uh, because the technology is moving so fast. And there's a further kind of 75% of senior executives consider that their organizations have a chronic lack of experience with digitization. Yeah. So they don't know how to integrate it. They don't know what to do with it properly. Yeah. And they're not making best use of the latest technology. And right now we're talking about AI um, and, yeah. and things like that. Yes. Yeah. So this is becoming a concern in lots of organizations because what they're starting to see is the organizations that are digitally mature um, are gaining a competitive advantage. Uh, they're able to do things faster, cheaper, yeah. you know, a whole range of things because of the capability that these things give them. Now, this paper is interesting in what it's done is it's analyzed all of the digital maturity assessment tools okay. to see whether they're valid and reliable okay. and how useful they are. Yes. Oh, um, tell me, drum roll. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll tell you what. Say? It's. It's. I, I, I was quite shocked actually. <laughs> it's. It's actually. Um. It, it's the the research was done as a, a, a collaboration between um, universities in Switzerland and Czechoslovakia or right. the Czech Republic as it right. is now. And what they worked out is that there are a, a number of kind of layers of assessment that. Um, organizations should be assessing their digital maturity on or the digital maturity tool assessment tools should be assessing Looking across at, these yeah. layers. Okay. So those layers are, there are six primary layers. Um, there's a strategic layer and what that means is it, it kind of what resources and capabilities and strategic goals of the organization and what the human resources, what their capabilities are. So yeah. Any assessment tool needs to take that into account. Yes. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Right. The second one is what they call the business layer. Right. Um, and, and that layer is um, how the organization sell and engage with their customers. Okay. Because that's okay. an important factor yes. in, yeah. in digital maturity. Yeah. Then comes what they call um, the application layer. Now, this what this means is um, that... It, it kind of looks at the applications and the services that support the businesses. Okay. So all the, the underpinning things that go on in the organization, things okay. like HR, um, uh, it may be things to do with um, media, right. for example, that help to support sales. Yep. So all of the kind of yep. things that are that, that sit under the, the front-facing businesses. Oh, well. So it's only, okay. Mm. Yep. And, and whether that's capable of, Digitization, whether they're thinking about it, whether they can integrate it or not okay. in, yes. in their things. Then comes the, the, the technology layer. So this is the fourth layer. Um, and that examines the systems, the technology and the software used that kind of calculate and manipulate data and communicate within the organization. Okay. And that includes things like communication tools. Yeah. So some organizations use things like Slack, which is yes. a communication yeah. tool. Or, you know, others you know, use yeah. Skype for Business and various other things. Then the fifth layer is what they call the physical layer. Now, the phys physical layer kind of describes the physical uh, facilities um, 
that that exist, um, as as well as the kind of distributed systems and not networks and other materials used by the organisation. So it's the buildings, um, the layout of the buildings, where people are physically where they're distributed across the globe, mm. but also where those resources sit. Mm. Um, and then lastly, um, the sixth layer is what they call the implementation and the migration layer. So that layer um, looks at the processes, the work steps, and the results that the organization gets. Mm-hmm. So what this study is saying is that any assessment tool needs to take account of all of those all layers. Of those layers. Okay. Yeah. It makes now, sense. So the interesting thing, yes. so when they did their survey was that they found that there are commonly, there are about 15 digital maturity tools used. Okay, the, the most across, widespread yes, the ones. One, yes, yeah. Yeah. and a lot of those come from um, some of the larger consultancy firms okay. where they've kind of done their yes. own. Um, uh, some of them come from universities like MIT. Okay. Um, so th- there are things like the MIT in Cap Gemini Digital Maturity Matrix. Snappy title. Yes, I know from 2014. <laughs> the Digital Maturity Model from the, the uh, University in Switzerland from okay. 2016. The okay. Digital Transformation Assessment from okay. Fennick and Gill of 2014 and so on and okay. so forth. So there are 15 of these things yeah. that are used. Right. So they then assessed them against these layers right. to see how many of the layers that they got. So, and I, I was quite shocked actually, and I think some of these people should hang their heads in shame. So what they discovered was that there were out of those fifteen. Yeah. Bear in mind what this is about. This yeah. is about technology and digitization, right? Only six out of the fifteen actually included the technology layer no. yeah, in, in their digital Goodness. maturity matrix. How curious. I know, which is, like, astonishing. Yeah. So half, roughly, okay. well, yeah. under half, yeah. and not, you know, about half. Do not assess what you would think of as being a really yes. kind of fundamental. They don't even talk about yeah. the technology. You know, okay. you think, hang on a minute, there's yeah. something wrong there. Okay. So, so you know... The, the, and that really calls into question about 60% of the available tools straight away without yeah. going any further. Yeah. Like if you've got a digital maturity assessment tool that's not looking at technology, yes. you've got to really think what it's yeah. doing, <laughs> which is a bit bizarre. But they kind of went down a little bit further. And then when they started looking at, um, at aligning uh, organizations and um how organizations align each of these things, they found that there was only one model right. that actually is valid and reliable. So that it, it keeps, I know, out of all of these 15, that, that will bring back results, yes. the same results if, if you apply it. Yes. on another occasion, if, yes. If you yes. repeated it. Yes. And, and it's called the TM Forum Digital Maturity Model that was okay. developed in 2017. Okay. Um, and which is kind of and there were, you know, there's nine models here that they mm. found that are neither valid nor reliable. Okay. So it basically sounds like somebody's just come out of the shower one morning and decided to make up these models. These sound models. like things that we could 
we could roughly test that yes. would yes, yes. yeah and when yeah. they when they assessed them there was no validity okay. model. and you know we're talking about people like kpmg's survival of the smartest model uh pwc's digital maturity model from Goodness. 2016 um there, there are a whole series of them there's one called the dreamy maturity model which is dreamy i like uh, that <laughs> We want that one to be the one that works. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not. <laughs> yeah. They were dreaming when they made it up, yes. maybe. Yeah. The, but how curious. They must, yeah. you would think on, I mean, did they, did the researchers in this kind of delve into the data yes. that these yeah. developing kind of bodies exactly. have put yeah. in place saying, you know, this is why we think it's valid? Or, yes. So, so they, they unpacked their data. They went right back yeah. to work out how the models were constructed. Yeah, okay. And, and in their words, yes. right, I'll, I'll quote that, yeah. that these models have no clear scientific basis for the measurement or analysis. Oh, no. So there are lots of consultants yes. believing these things yeah. and lots of organisations believing and it's these one things. Thing because a lot of, I mean, a lot of the names you've heard out there have... You know, incredible kind of weight. Yes. Um, and an associated credibility that comes just from the name. I know. Is, uh, I know. Which is... Um, but we find this with a lot... You know, you, you look at in the psychometrics. Yeah. You know, yes. there's yes. a lot of people, particularly in kind of management, human resources and things, are using tools that have got no validity yeah. or reliability. Yeah. You know, and quite often... Uh, you know, I almost get pushed out of organisations when yeah. I say, you know, I question things like MBTI. Yeah. And they, they won't listen. In fact, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm the no. baddie for even saying yeah. that there's, you know, the validity and reliability is suspect. Yes. You know, and, and it's one of the reasons why when you start to look in the databases, there are very few studies using these things yeah. because of the lack of yeah. validity. Yeah. Um, and in fact, what we might do a bit, this is a, a really interesting study. We, we might do a series of ones on some of the psychometric tools as well. I think that'd be a really good idea. Yeah. But it highlights, doesn't it? It strikes me that there's a couple of things it highlights. One is that there is a demand and an appetite for these assessment tools. So mm. they become yeah. popular and used by organisations mm. because they're looking for something that will, in a practical, pragmatic way, give them insight, a way of dividing up and making sense of something and, you know, coming up with a way forward. Yes. Um, and the, one of the challenges sometimes for research, I think, is the pace. So the, the pace at which things get developed, tested, brought out, then kind of, mm. you know, are available um, and marketed and all of the bit that large organisations that are maybe able to respond very swiftly to yes. what seems to be a customer demand and need can put in place, which right. makes it very hard for practitioners to sift through mm. what is <laughs> what is valid and reliable yes. versus what is grounded in, you know, good scientific practice and has been, you know, through a rigorous process of development Precisely. versus what, what isn't. Yeah. And yet they want something. That's right. And, and it's a struggle for academics, I think, and well, it is. kind of the research area. Yeah, and this is part of the problem with it. You know, it's something I've, I've written about quite a lot, about the, this kind of research academic practitioner gap yes is yeah, way yeah. too big yes. and you know this yeah. this was in a in, in a journal a little bit earlier on this year 2019 um that i hadn't even heard of yeah i didn't even know yeah, it existed so, so getting... it's not in a yeah and i've not seen it 
you know, unless you're in the research. Yes, you, how, you, how many people might have read the original paper? Yeah, it may well, well be zero. Yeah, I don't even know. Yeah. I don't know whether it's be well. In fact, let me just have a look. Um, we, I'll look up and see how many citations it's got. Um, I suspect. So, which is always a, a favourite game of academics. See how many yes, citations. How many citations? <laughs> <laughs> citations yes, of your own papers have got. Be I know. <laughs> so, let's just have a quick look. Um, Oh, that's it. Uh, 2019. Yeah, there we go. Um, it's got none. None. So no citations. There are no citations for this yeah. paper. Yeah. And yet, from a practitioner point of view, yeah. it's, you know, it, and there are organisations making yeah. multi-million dollar decisions yeah. based on something that d- yeah. doesn't seem to have any scientific basis. So what do you think about, so there was somebody I heard talking about this the other day, and they were describing exactly what we're talking about, that challenge that comes when you are working with clients or you're in an organization and you're trying mm. to find something to use and you want to find a way forward, that that lag or that yeah. gap sometimes yeah. that seems too yeah. big to um, bridge. And um, she said that she has been talking a lot in her organization about this term called um, evidence-informed practice rather than evidence Based practice. Yeah. Have you heard that yes, before? Yes, yes. And I thought that was it was really interesting hearing her talk about it because she was mm. kind of advocate not to dismiss the importance of evidence-based yes. practice, mm. but that sometimes she wanted to highlight within her organization that what she was doing isn't because actually what I'm doing has been tested yes. and shown to produce these types of positive yes. outcomes, but what I'm doing is grounded in stuff that would yes. suggest would you know have a high degree of um, probability that it will lead to these kind of yes. positive outcomes or is grounded in some foundations that yeah. have been shown is that yes there's, there's quite a lot of work going on around this idea of evidence informed okay. practice yes. as against evidence based practice yeah. the, the the distinguishing feature between them two as you know as you can probably guess is is a bit fuzzy yes you see the the issue with so evidence-based practice, let's just talk about that first. Yeah. So the idea of evidence-based practice is that it, it comprises of a, a series of things yeah. that happen. So you look at the academic research about that problem that you're dealing with. Mm. You um, think about and understand the expert's experience. And I don't mean academic expert, I mean the practitioner's expert. Yeah. So their expertise, their understanding okay. of the context, their understanding of the problem yeah. from a practitioner's point of view, yeah. and bring those together, connected with, in organisations, it's the client, in medicine, it's the, it's the, patient, the patient. Yeah. All right. And then on top of that comes a whole series of protocols and things that may be professional regulations and stuff, and that you... You go through the research, you go through the thinking of the, the practitioners, you look at what the stakeholders want, whoever they happen to be, the clients, whatever it happens to be, what the regulations say, and it becomes kind of evidence-based, if you want. Yeah. So it's it's kind of an amalgam of those. And you, you see lots of kind of frameworks of people trying to work out how to do that. Yeah. So, and, and in fact, there was a, a paper um, a, a little bit earlier on this month that was around that. Yeah. So evidence-informed 
So this is where it's yes. kind of going. So evidence-informed practice tends to be based in those areas where there isn't a lot of research evidence. So because it's new. It's so a new field. Yeah. It's a new field and we didn't know about it. And yeah. Because there is a lag. You know, researchers, it takes time to gather the data, to analyze it, to, you know, yeah. then very rarely in front of the, the curve as it is. So evidence-informed research tends to be in those areas. So this is a new thing. So we're, we're experimenting in this. But it doesn't mean that there's no research evidence. What they're doing is looking at the research evidence of all the connecting bits yeah. and using some of that it helped them to make decisions and then monitoring what they get back in terms of the yeah. feedback but the, the feedback's also in evidence-based practice yes so whilst i mentioned those four areas yes. the the feedback of trying something and seeing what happens and what reaction you get yeah is actually part of both so okay. that's why i mean that these two yes. things are a little bit fuzzy i understand yes. why this is happening yeah um and the, the, there's the, the other thing that I hear a lot about is the difference between practice-based evidence Oh, I've not heard that one. Okay. Practice. Okay. So the idea, and I get this more yes, from no, that practitioners. Makes, okay, yeah. So it's the evidence yes. of our experience. Yes, exactly, which makes, yeah. 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 And, you know, the, people are kind of looking for codicils and things like that. that you know, there isn't, a, there isn't a kind of one Bible on all of this. Yeah. My take largely is that, there's a, as we've discovered with this paper here, there's an awful lot of really good research research evidence mm. that just isn't coming to light yes. and practitioners yes. are, which is the yeah. reason for the Oxford Review, yeah. really, yeah. is to close that gap between the research and the practitioner. But getting kind of structured methods to be able to kind of search for stuff, now it does take time. Um, and it, it just depends on how good you want your decisions to be, mm. and 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 certainly with more costly decisions, you know, organisations look at the data of their their own stuff. But if they start to look outside, they'll start to see. So I say outside of their organisation, I'm talking about. Yeah. They'll start to see evidence that will really help them think about that data in a completely different way. Yeah. And I, th I think that's important, and that, that's one of the things that this paper is really highlighting, yeah. is that until you know about these research kind of frameworks, I suppose, and ways of thinking about things, once you've got that, you can make decisions in very different yes. ways. Yes. And, and you know, this, I, I, I was quite shocked when I read this paper. Yeah. But it, it just knowing it, knowing that it's there, yeah. you can make way better decisions, and you're not going to fall into the trap of thinking, somebody just because they're from a big consultancy firm, their stuff's valid and reliable. Yeah. And it gives you, what's really nice about that paper is those different levels that they highlight and map yeah. out. So there's something which gives you a framework by which you can question and right. check when you are making decisions about mm. what's bring in. So mm. it's the difference between you don't need to know it all, but yes. it's helpful to have be, be informed yes. sufficiently that yes. actually you can be a critical consumer ah. of the services yes. that perhaps yes. land on your desk and the kind of um, people and conversations that you're engaged with. So Yeah, and absolutely. And that's, for me, that's the value of the academic side of things. What yeah. they do is they create frameworks of thinking. So yes. Talk this thing about critical yeah. thinking. So critical thinking is this idea of using good evidence, yeah. good valid and reliable evidence. So, but it, what academics are very good at is creating these frameworks for thinking about things. Yeah. And that's why, you know, 
professors are paid what they are because they know how to think about this stuff because of all of this evidence and they're seeing it at a a more objective level. So that's very, very valuable and useful. And then when you mix it with the practitioner's stuff, their understanding, their expertise of the context of their experience, it becomes very powerful. Mm -hmm. The problem with just having the experience, experience is biased by its name. I'm not saying that people are biased, they may be, but you're biased by your experience. Yes, yes. You only know what you know. Yeah. Whereas one of the aims of academia is objectivity, Mm. is to be able to kind of pull back and question this, you know, I'm questioning, you know, is my, is this right? So if you look at the scientific method, for example, they don't test the hypothesis, you know this, they test the null hypothesis. What they're trying to do is break it first. So we're into disproof, which is one of the quickest ways through uncertainty anyway. Mm. Whereas quite often what happens in organisations is confirmation bias, is they get an idea and they look for the evidence that supports it. Uh, But when you bring these two systems together, it becomes quite powerful. Mm. And and I, you know, I, just wish more organisations would do it. Yes, yes. And it's not, um, because I think when organisations can see the benefit of doing that and they kind of step out of what's currently going on and the way in which decision-making is happening and the type of thinking within the organisation, there is a real kind of demand and interest and a kind of desire to be able to do things differently. But I think it's one of the challenges I think I notice a lot when I'm going into organizations and working with clients, there's sort of a a pace that people are caught up in. There's a, just even that opportunity to stop, pause, step out and build some of those kind of critical thinking skills Mm. and being able to stop and pause and more deeply think in a Mm. considered way about some of the stuff you're doing is often not easy for people. They have to really Mm. interrupt the kind of cycle that people are caught up in. and um... Yes, and this is why we're starting to see more and more the advent of kind of evidence-based units in organisations. Okay. And uh, so th- we're seeing this a lot in places like the police service and things where w- there's a thing called the College of Policing in the UK and and they take on this mantle of we'll do the research, okay. we'll bring the yeah, evidence yeah. to you. Yeah. What you do with the research yes. operationally is entirely down to yeah. you. So I'm seeing this in more and more organisations where they'll have a research unit and they're tasked with finding the academic side of the research to the current problems. Which seems like a great idea. Mm. I mean, I'm always... I think it's amazing that there aren't more organisations that where they have... So some of, if I think about some of the range of my clients, I know some of them will have, you know, a, a strong focus on R and D activity, and mm. you know, a real kind of focus on that in terms of growing the organisation from the customer's perspective and thinking yes. about the market, and but not yes. an R and D, not a, they don't bring that focus onto the internal workings of the organisation, yes. and you can't think how amazing would it be to have teams in organisations mm. whose primary focus was to to kind of conduct internal research and really kind of um, be able to advise and get involved in decision making from that lens or that perspective. Yes, and bring some of the the external, the the good research that's done in the universities. What's interesting, the the thing that I've found interesting is that, so my department's in the medical sciences division, and one of the things there, see medical sciences and hospitals, what you find is that they're very close. So the professors 
in the in the hospitals are not only practitioners, they're yes. teachers as well yes. in the yes. university. Yes, so they're very, yeah. So the, 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 you can't slide a piece no. of paper between the academic side no, and the practitioner yeah. side. They're part of the, part of the same thing. Yeah. The professors are the people who are the consultants, but they're also doing research yeah. at the same time. They're expected to do research yeah. at the same time. Once you move away from places like medical sciences, um, and, and it's happening more and more in, in nursing. Yes, so yes. So we get nursing units in universities. So they, yeah. you'll find nurses spend their time on the ward, but in yeah. the universities yeah. and doing research at the same time. Once you move out of those kinds of um, communities, yeah. it gets a bit harder. You get the odd person who's doing a master's or you get the odd person who's doing a yes. doctorate or something. But there's no tie-in no. at, a, at a kind of wholesale rate with, with yes, what the organisation... Yes, it's not kind of integral, is it, almost yes. to that kind of profession? Or, mm. I mean, it used to be a little bit, and there's an element of it in teaching, but not, yes. not much. No. I mean, it, yes. it, it, yeah. and... Um, well, the, yeah, the other one we know about is aerospace. Okay, So, from yes. Cranfield. Yes. There's a lot yes. of, you know... Yeah. Cranfield, the places like British Aerospace uh, and, and other aerospace organisations are actually... They have an office in the university. Yes. So that interplays, you know, and again, it's very close yes, relationship. It's all about applied, mm. I mean, and a heavy focus on kind of applied research and that. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'd like to see more of that happening with organizations where they kind of set up a chair and they set up a, a, a kind of a research thing. Yeah. And this suspicion of academic research, I don't yeah. think help, well, no, doesn't help at all because, you know, there's yeah. a. There's a, a, a a heck of a lot of really good research out there that just it doesn't come off the page and out of the journal and into organisations. Yeah, nothing happens no, with it. No, you know this is a this is a heck of an important paper yeah. for people to know about. Nobody cited yeah. it. No one. Yeah, you know I'm probably the only person who's read it. And I've got to say I've got a few papers like that myself. But you kind of look and think, what do you care? But you know it's yeah. It, it needs to be more systematic. Yes. And, and that's the evidence-based part of this yeah. for me, is that that process is a systematic process. And you see that in the medical sciences. I just like to see it in organisations. Yeah. 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 There's yeah. lots of learning, isn't there, that could be yes. kind of taken from that sort of domain and um, looks at in other areas. So, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Well, that's really Great. interesting. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, interesting one, that. Yeah. Um, and we'll put all the show notes and um, the reference and everything in the, in the show notes. Great. Thank you for listening to the Oxford Review podcast. For free research briefings, audio and video research briefings, research infographics and a whole lot more, visit oxford-review.com. That's oxford-review.com. And please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It would mean a lot to us to have your feedback so that we can make this podcast even better for you. Mm-hmm.